There's one thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. What? Win. Win. What are we waiting for? Take this! Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 95. My guest today is Ed Giese. Ed was one of the uh, top freestylers in the uh, late 80s and early 90s in the in the U.S. Um, you've got a, a heck of a uh, stat collection here. You were 172-5 and five in high school, 114 falls, two-time state champ, Division I All-American. Um, you've wrestled some absolute legends. You were coached by Jay Robinson. Uh, close friend of Dave Schultz, um, one of the best ambassadors um, that the sport of wrestling has ever had. And uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Um, how you doing today? Not too bad, as well as anybody could be when you're under quarantine. Yeah, um, you, you said you were able to work from home, though, too, so that's that's a blessing for you, I guess. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I do that a bit of and out and outside sales, so I'm, I'm really we're going to do this in a little bit different manner than I would normally do. I'd normally be in somebody's house for about a part of an hour and a half. I think today I'll probably be in there about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. To get some information on their existing equipment so I can give them an estimate. And you're in Illinois right now, right? Is that where you live? Yeah, I live in the western suburbs of Chicago off by O'Hare Airport. How, how, uh, how is it going there? Like, Are you guys experiencing a, a big spread or of the disease? Or? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's growing pretty rapidly. I think uh, our governor is doing a great job of putting a little pressure on, on the federal government. He called out Trump on Twitter, and actually, uh, because we weren't getting a lot of the supplies, uh, I think, as you know, there uh, a lot of the states have been kind of fighting over ventilators, and, you know, there, there's no rhyme to the, the madness, so... You know, our governor is, is, is a billionaire, and so he's, he's got some clout, and he's, uh, he's trying to run around to help us out a little bit here. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a scary time. I heard that in in like ten days' time, like eight hundred New Yorkers are going to be passing away every single day, and you know it, it's hard to wrap your 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 brain around that kind of stuff. But anyway. Um, Let's talk about let's talk about something a little less depressing. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, another reason I, I wanted to talk to you is because you were a 118 pounder. I'm not sure when that weight class changed to to just one eight one twenty five, but I used to love that weight class. Um, it was probably my favorite weight class to watch. Was that was that a hard pull for you, 118, or were you always a, a smaller guy? Or well. Yeah. I, I didn't look very assuming, but I, uh, 
I probably dropped from one week every Monday, at least for the last few years of my career. Yeah. One one thirty to one eighteen every month. Yeah, that twelve. That's a that's a pretty big cut when you're you know you obviously didn't have a lot of, of fat on you, so yeah, one thirty eight. Oh, one thirty pounds every week. <laughs> Holy shit, one thirty eight. Yeah, yeah. And, and and this was like I was in college. I graduated from college in December ninety eight, and I think it was like nineteen ninety six when like a couple of kids in Division one died, and that's when they like changed a lot of those rules. But you were back. Yeah. You were wrestling at a time where you guys cut weight in a pretty unhealthy manner. Is that a fair assessment? I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say it was unhealthy if you understood how to do it right. You know, it, it, it's kind of funny because, you know, I came in as a freshman at the University of Minnesota. And I actually did not wrestle for Jay Robinson. I coached with Jay for a few years. Okay. Uh, Jay, Jay took the job over after I graduated. The year after I graduated, I was the last All-American and Big Ten champ for Wally Johnson. He was a 70-year-old gentleman who never wrestled a lick in his life. He was like having your grandfather coach you. <laughs> Unfortunately, I loved Wally, but he didn't really do a whole lot of coaching for me, which, you know, of course, as you can tell by my tone of voice, <laughs> I'm a little bitter on. I would love to have wrestled for someone like, you know, Gable or Joe Steve or... Um, you know, Bobby Douglas, any of those guys, you know, any, any of the big stud coaches back in the day would have uh, would have been good. You know, the whole recruiting process for me um, was was kind of forced on me. I had kind of narrowed it down between Iowa, Wisconsin, and uh, in Illinois. Um, and then I was going for my third state title. I had a 132-match win streak going, and I got pinned in the quarterfinal of the state, got caught and pinned, beating this guy 8-2. And in Illinois, if you lose it in the quarterfinals and your guy loses in the semis, mm-hmm. the best you can do is fifth. So I ended up taking fifth in the state my senior year, and basically none of those schools ever – well, Illinois did. Illinois wanted me real bad, but I, I really didn't want to go there. <laughs> Between Iowa and Wisconsin. Okay. And both both Iowa and Wisconsin stopped recruiting me completely. They were hurt from either of them. Wow. All because you got caught and pinned in the in the quarterfinals. You, you, you and, could... Well, they didn't, they didn't have representatives at the tournament, mm-hmm. so they didn't really see what happened. Right. And, you know, and, and I get it. In, in Iowa's case, you know, uh, Chuck Yagler was one of the assistant coaches, and he was kind of recruiting me. And, uh, you know, he wasn't there. So they had Barry Davis, you know. I mean, they didn't really necessarily need me. Yeah. And they had a bunch of in-state guys that they were looking at as well. So they were recruiting me just because I was close and, and I was having such a great career. Yeah. Um, you know, Wisconsin was kind of the same way. They already had pretty decent 18-pounders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they didn't necessarily have to have me, but if you know if I had gone three years undefeated in the state of Illinois, then they might have reached that. So as it turned out, Minnesota jumped in late. Nebraska jumped in late. Um, it's really funny because I'm really good friends with Kelly Ward, and Kelly Ward, who was a national champ for Iowa State, was recruiting me, and he was assistant coach. And we've had this conversation a hundred times. 
Hello? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I thought I launched it. Um, we've had this conversation a hundred times that Keith thought that I was going to go somewhere else, so they never they pulled my my plane ticket to go to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, Dave Billshear, who is a national champ for Nebraska, is one of my best friends. He lives in the area. Jim Shear's twin brother is a very close friend of mine. Their, their deceased heavyweight Gary Albright was a really close friend of mine. So I would have fit right in in that program. Mm-hmm. Uh, never lost to a Nebraska guy the whole time I was in college, so obviously it would help them out too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so as it turned out, I took recruiting trips to Illinois, and they were they were just really bad back then. I took a recruiting trip to Minnesota, and then also took a recruiting trip to LSU. Why I didn't go to LSU, I have no idea. Because actually, Larry Shakatano, who was the coach there, uh, would have been a great coach for me. He coached me internationally a few times. Yeah. And and I just, I remember the guy. He just passed away this last year as well. So, so, but, so you had a coach in college that, that never really that didn't know a lot about wrestling, and you were still able, you, you got third in, in NCAs, right? Yeah, well, that's, you know, and, and that's, that's part of the problem. I, you know, Tim Riley from, I wrestled Barry Davis my freshman year, okay. twice, and he beat me both times. Um, actually, Barry's the one who, who kind of helped me learn how to cut weight. At least that last weight cut, to lose the water weight, yeah. the correct way. Because Barry was bigger than me, by far. <laughs> he was cut from the 40s. Um, but, um, I'm sorry, I got off on a little bit of a tangent there. Um, it's all right. No, okay, so so the next guy that wrestled, when Barry moved up to 26, Tim Riley, who was an All-American as a freshman at 26, moved down to 18. Now, the first time Tim and I wrestled, I beat him. Okay. In the Big Ten semifinals, he beat me. He goes on to be an All-American. I end up winning one match and going on the tournament. Um, so the moral of the story, in the next year, I beat Tim in the finals of the Big Ten. I had beaten Kevin Jackson's older brother, Wayne, in the semis 20-4. Wow. And I, I lost to him in the first round of the NCAA. And then I'm out of the tournament. So the moral of the story was is that, you know, although we were good wrestlers, we were never trained properly. So I was never ready to wrestle in the, uh, the NCAA tournament. I came closer to placing as a freshman than I did as a sophomore and a junior. And because after that junior debacle, after I, you know, I won the Big Tens, I beat an All-American, I beat like three or four All-Americans, actually, I want to say Bob Hallman might have taken second that year from Northern Iowa and I beat him multiple times. Um, I just decided to go into my coaching and tell him that if he didn't redshirt me, I was going to transfer. And as it turned out, it, he did redshirt me and it, it, it was, that would turn out to be kind of the beginning of my international career because I, obviously I wasn't on the college team. I, um, the first time I ever went overseas with Dave Schultz was in '85. We went uh, we went overseas for a month. Then I came back, and on that trip, I ended up wrestling the 1984 Olympic champion. And I actually think I kind of got 
job because it was in his hometown. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the next year, or, you know, I'll take it back. Now I'm losing my... Okay, so that was, that was before that because it's 84, 82. So in 85 is when I redshirted. Um, but I did, I did a lot of uh, wrestling. I went to Cuba. I wrestled some Greco. I actually placed in, in the Grammar tournament in, in Greco. And then... Uh, uh, Russell, you know, just a lot of um, So your inter- I think that kind of helped me for that senior year. Yeah, you, so you wrestled one fourteen and a half for international for freestyle, right? Well, actually, I started out as a as a my freshman and, and sophomore year. I was I was wrestling one twenty five and a half. So I go to um, you know when you, when you're in the sport as long as I have. You're end up having a name drop quite a bit. So I, you know, my freshman year in college, me and a buddy of mine, Mike Serena, who was a made the Olympic team as an 18 year old. He's also from Illinois. Um, wow, 18. Mike and I went to the yeah. He was senior in high school and made the Olympic team in 1976 in Greco. Jeez. He was a 105 pounder. Holy shit! Yeah, he was defending world champion first round and they got knocked out. Man. Man, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I, I missed those, uh, I missed the 105, 114 and a half pound weight class. I used to love watching those guys. Um, you know, it, I think it sucks that, that they've taken away the sport from the smallest guys and the biggest guys. You know, like it used to be a sport for everybody, and now they've kind of, you know, taken some of those weight classes away. But didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed watching those guys. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's funny because I, you watch guys and their sons, you know, as they grow up, you know, the Rouge Chad from Cornell. Yeah. His dad was a world champion, Olympic and world silver medalist. Watching this guy wrestle on him and the Cubans pull each other in multiple matches were some of the most entertaining breaths that I've ever seen. Yeah. It was nonstop action. There was scoring going on. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. I had Randy Randy Lewis on the podcast, uh, gosh, it's probably been a year ago already, and and I was telling him that my wife and I went to the World Championships when they were in Vegas, and you'd see all these these like older guys walking around and they were they were real little but they had like mangled ears and all that and I was just like I was telling my wife I was like you see that little dude right there he would rip your freaking arms off (laughs) yeah which is something else I wanted to ask you being a being a smaller guy have you ever um had you have you ever gotten in a confrontation with somebody that was big and thought they were gonna whoop your ass because you were a smaller guy and uh has that ever happened to you now you're going to implicate me, because I've, I've been in quite a few, actually. Yeah, I um, bet. The, the, the best one was, after, I want to say, maybe it was after my senior year, we were doing uh, Jay Robinson's 28-day camp in, in Cedar Falls, Iowa. We decided on our day off to drive back to Minneapolis. So we ended up going to a bar, and I'm walking through the bar. We, we had not even had two steps out of the break. And I was walking around to see if I knew anybody. And at this particular bar in the album, you kind of have to walk through the dance floor. It was pretty crowded. 
and I tried to walk through, and I was I was trying to be real nice. I was tapping people, excuse me, excuse me. I'm trying to walk through, and this tall, skinny guy with really long hair turned around and put his palm on my face and pushed me. And I don't know what possessed me, but I hit this guy with probably the best double I've ever hit on anybody. <laughs> Ran him into the dance floor, got on top of him, and I threw the legs in on him. I just stopped eating his head off him. <laughs> <laughs> And as it turned out, it was, it was a bad situation because one of my buddies was actually the bouncer. And he had to kick me out. And I was, was actually with a guy, Randy Palfrey, who actually played for the Green, Green Bay Packers. These guys should have been messing with us to be with, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't even have had them if they had Randy around there. Everyone would be way too intimidated to this guy was a monster. Yeah. But it was just, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, you're going to get that when you're my size. You know, people are gonna just take for granted that you're, you know, you're not tough, and you know they want to challenge themselves. I don't know. Yeah, I. People, people. I I wasn't uh, I wasn't a, a wrestler on on your level at all, but I I did win a high school state cha- championship, and I I was uh, I was 140 pounders, so I wasn't like huge or anything, and and we would go to like high school parties that uh, from different different high schools and. Uh, my buddies would always get me into some kind of. My buddy can throw you, throw your, you know, your big friend in a, your big football friend in a headlock, and they'd be like, they'd be like, whatever, you know. And then for like a, a twelve pack of beer, we'd wrestle, and I'd kick the shit out of some poor bastard. And <laughs> so I can only imagine, um, you know, somebody of your caliber and all that stuff. Who, who is the, uh, who is the toughest guy you you think you've ever wrestled, international or U.S. Okay. So Val was a seven-time world champion, uh, Olympic champion. He should have literally won at least 1984, 88, and 96 Olympics. The, the North Korean who won in uh, the Zeke in the finals in 92, that guy was good. That guy validly beat Val and, and, you know, straight up in the semis. Um, you know, I... I I can't tell you how good this guy is and what an influence he had on my life. Unfortunately, I didn't move out to the Foxcatcher till mid '92, okay. and and then they was shot in January of '96, and that's when we moved out the farm. And, and for all intents and purposes, you know, my my wrestling career was over. I mean, I wrestled in the Olympic trials, but there really wasn't much motivation, and and we were kind of going through a weird, you know, it, it was tough. Yeah, I bet. Uh, I, I stayed out there and, and lived with Brian Dolph. I slept on his couch and we trained at the University of Pennsylvania because Roger Raymond, the head coach now, was was a really close friend of Dave's and a really good friend to me too now and helped me out quite a bit. Roger and uh, is he the guy that wrestled Colat in the finals, Kerry Colat? No, no. Okay. No, no Roger's actually Roger's my age. Okay. Uh, but he had been the head coach. He he coached, you know, Matt Valenti, he coached Brandon Slay, he coached the Monitor Brothers. He stepped out, and then Zeke got the job for a while, and then Rob Iyer got the job, and then they ended up going back and getting Ryder out of retirement to take the program over again. Okay. Yeah. But when I moved out there, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid to late, well, I'm in my 
to say, this is in late 20s when I finally moved out there. I, I retired when I was 32. So in 96, I was 32. So I was like 29 when I moved out there. Okay. So at that point, if I had moved out there when I was 23, 24, and been able to wrestle with Dallo and train with Dave, Dave did a ton for me. You know, I mean, I loved him like a brother, and he was just nice to everybody. Okay. Everyone could say that they were Dave's best friend because that's the way it made you feel. Yeah. But Dave, Dave would go above and beyond sometimes to help me. I, I mean, I remember one day, we'd come back from the 94 World Championships, and, and we had seen some technique that was done. Uh, this Rasul Hadem is a 198 pounder. He's going to have beaten Mahavik Kedarsev, who, who was like a seven-time world champion, one or two-time Olympic champion at that point. Okay. He beat him, and it was a really close match, but what was happening is Kedarsev was really strong, and he liked the collar tie. And Habib was coming inside his collar tie, re-collar tying him, and using his elbow to clear his, his elbow to make it opening for his high cross. And... Uh, he also did it to a single leg one time, and, and Dave was fast making better. So he he asked me, you know, at practice, would you want to you know, come in and work on this with me? So literally, he and I are at the Fox Country Gym all alone. We would watch it on tape, then we'd go out on the mat, and we'd work on it. And it was just, I mean, there's just little things like that. He knew I, I lacked on my feet. I, I, I could throw you. I was good on top. Decent on bottom, but I was suspect on my feet. That's why I always lost to Zeke. Zeke just had a style that I could beat anybody that Zeke beat, and I pretty much did. Yeah. You know, I I got wins on over every Olympian that the United States ever had between 1984 and 96. I guess, did Sammy make it in 2000? Sammy was 2000, yeah. Yeah, so I... I never wrestled Sammy. I actually coached him a few times. Actually, I'd hate to wrestle Sammy. <laughs> I love watching him wrestle, but I wouldn't. I think my neck would get sore. Yeah. Yeah, that guy was a freaking beast. I'd like to have him on here, too. I, I, uh... I ran into him to the airport not too long ago, and, and I just introduced myself to him, and shaking his hand was like... The guy's, like, made out of rocks. <laughs> he really is. He's... Yeah, I mean, what a freaking beast! And 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 came back at like what thirty six and and got a world bronze medal. I mean, that's just almost un, unheard of uh, for somebody to well, be able to. Actually, actually, back in the day, that was that was actually kind of normal. I mean, Chris Campbell made the Olympic team when he was forty. You know, oh, Dave wow. Schultz was thirty when he was shot and still the number one guy in the United States. I was thirty two when I retired, and that was kind of the median kind of age. Because, you know, some guys, the guys that were, like, Kevin Jack is a year younger than me, and he was retired, you know, four years prior. You know, Kenny Monday is a couple of years older than me, and Kenny actually obviously wrestled in the six. Um, yeah. He I... actually, the, the last trip I ever went on overseas, Kenny and I wrestled together. Yeah, I guess you're. I guess you're right. Now that I think about it, back, you know, it used to be wrestlers used to peak in their late twenties, early thirties, and now. And now it seems like guys' careers, you know, are ending earlier than they used to. Um, but I, I remember somebody saying that back in the day, and uh, and I, yeah. So you never got to wrestle Sammy Hansen. Did you ever wrestle Eric Aiken? Yeah, 
Yeah, we were, we were one. Actually, Aiken's the one who knocked me out of the '96 Olympic trials. Okay. I beat him. I beat him for third place in the Open that year. I beat him pretty good. And then uh, in the uh, in the Olympic trials, we got in a scramble, and I got put on my back, and I was trying to roll through, and they called the fall. Oh. That's a tough way to end your career. Yeah. Because I mean, they could have they could have given me. You know, it would have been a defensive fall. I was rolling across my back, but they just called it. Huh. Which I, I probably wouldn't have made the team. I, I had beaten uh, Roselli before, mm-hmm. but I needed, you know, I had this, my head really wasn't in it to begin with. I wasn't training the way I should have been. I didn't have any, you know, it's just hard to explain that, that particular time, you know, between when Dave was murdered and, and when the Olympic trials were on. So just just for people who who aren't familiar with uh, with Dave Schultz, um, Dave Schultz was a seven time world medalist. He was a world Olympic champion, and it was just a great ambassador um, for the sport. Like 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 Ed said, everybody felt like they were Dave's best friend because that's how he treated him. Um, but you were really tight with him. How would you explain to someone who has no idea who Dave Schultz is, um, who he is, and and what kind of person he was? Well, first of all, he was, he, he was the greatest ambassador of the sport for the United States. He, he was in high school. He actually beat NCAA champion Chuck Yagler to make the publicity team. No shit. He has a, he, as he was 17 years old, he placed third in publicity. Wow. That's unheard of for Americans. Yeah. So, I mean, not unheard of for Russians that have been wrestling freestyle their whole life. Uh-huh. But for a guy that's wrestling folk style in, in California and, and sporadic freestyle, back in those days, it was all like AU and stuff. So Dave, you know, was wrestling the circuit out there, but it wasn't like he was wrestling. But he was training at, at Danford University, I uh-huh. believe. Uh-huh. And, you know, so he was getting some better training than, than most. But Dave was infatuated by the Russians because that was what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a professional wrestler, you know, folk, you know, freestyle wrestler, just like the Russians are. The Russians are paid to be wrestlers. Yeah. They, I mean, they'll, they'll be picked out of school because they have some talent towards the sport. Mm-hmm. They'll be taken away from their family and put it into a, a sports school. That's all they do. They wrestle. Dave, loved to be around wrestling. Whether mm-hmm. he was doing it, coaching it, whatever, he was more comfortable in the gym than he was anywhere else. Yeah. And, and so he he was so infatuated with the Russians. He learned, he taught himself how to speak fluent Russian. Wow. I, I think I think Valo kind of said that it was, you know, a little kind of slangy type of, of Russian. Yeah. But, you know, it was, he, he certainly was able to, to get by. Well, I'm sure that, so, that impressed the hell out of them. I mean, the first, I think the first three times, two or three times I was, I was in Russia, they was on the trip. And one time, I want to say one time he was a wrestler, one time he was a national coach for one year. And, okay. and I, I actually wrestled uh, for him. Okay. And uh, at that point, I was living in Chicago and coaching at Northwestern. And then I was just on the national team, so we went to Tbilisi. 
And uh, and Dave just, you know, wherever we go, he could speak to people. They recognize them on the street in Russia. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about just, like, ex-wrestlers. I'm talking about, like, the general public. Wow. People actually knew who he was. Because at this point, he'd already won the Olympic title, and they're still in the wrestling. They know he's champion. Yeah. Um, and so on the trip to make things light, he would try to teach us how to speak a little bit of Russian, at least the stuff that we can, you know, get by with. You know, obviously everyone knows how to say no. Everyone knows how to say yes. You know, but he was teaching us how to say stuff. Obviously one of the things that we didn't know when we were there for a month at the end of it was Pivo, which is beer, Mazua, <laughs> uh, which is butter, which they would never put butter out. I mean, back in, understand that when we first started going there, it was communist. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, I enjoyed it. it it's, I, I'm back on, don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm completely against communism. But for an American going there, it was much better when it was communist because everything was kind of locked down and our money was worth yeah. 10 times what it is now. You know, we could buy the greatest thing in the world, you know, for really cheap. And, uh, well, I I want to get back to Dave Schultz a little bit, but I also want to ask what what is it? What makes the Russians so great at wrestling? Because they love the sport. Okay. I mean, that, that's kind of the, they don't have professional sports, so basically hockey and wrestling are the two main sports in their country. Okay. But, I mean that's that's what they're best at. Yeah. You know when when you know, every Olympic, I mean, they, I mean, when I was competing, I think we beat them in the World Cup once. We beat them in the World Championships the year before the Olympics, and it was in Atlanta, you know. So, I mean, back, back in the day when I first started, got on the circuit, the Russian team was amazing. I, I mean, I... I can't imagine us ever putting together a team that was really as good as they were. Yeah. I mean, we were talking, you know, with the Belgrazov, Sendaya. I mean, Nate Carr is one of the greatest American wrestlers ever. Yeah. And, and he could never beat Arsene Sendaya. I don't even know if he ever came close. I mean, this guy, it was just a conflict of style. Nate was flamboyant, fast, and, and, and could duck you. Sendaya was solid and was super strong. But when he got on top, he'd do some damage, you know, yeah. on the way. Uh, like I said, Hyarsov, who's, I mean, if, if there wasn't a boycott for them in 84, you know, I would say Dog Lazov would have won it. Hyarsov probably would have won it. Um, at least they would have two or three chances. And usually the 105 pounder would be the best in the world. I mean, finally, the, the 105 pounder for the, uh, the Russians was always one of the best in the world. Yeah, I remember reading something about Dave Schultz um, because in 84 he won the Olympics and the Russians had to boycott. Um, but then I, I heard that he wrestled like the world champion from, I don't I can't, I'm not, I'm butchering the story so maybe you can help me with it, but he wrestled no, someone. I, I, can, I can tell you exactly what you're talking about. No, Dave had already beaten, so, so Dave won the world championships in 83. And right. he beat the Russian in the final. And, and I'm not sure if it's the same guy that Kenny beat in the final. Might have been uh, 
Um, Adlan Varayev. Okay. I, I'm not sure. Um, as a matter of fact, Kenny actually posted something today, and there was a picture of Kenny took a shot, Varayev had a front chest lock on him. Kenny reached up around his back, locked his hand, pulled him in, turned his head to throw him into his back. It was yeah. That tells you how good that weight class in the United States was. But you've got a guy like Lee Kemp who wins three world titles. He gets knocked off the uh, podium by Dave Schultz. And then Dave wins the Olympics, a world champion in the Olympics. Then uh, and Dave's at the top of his game, and Kenny comes in and knocks him off the, uh, the podium. You know, and then you, know, you, then you got Brandon Slick wins the weight class, and, and it was... We have have had a, 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 a very strong run at that weight class forever. I mean, yeah. Stan Desick, he was at that weight class back before that. Yeah, we've, we've, we've been right at the top at 70. It would need to be 76 kilos. And, and now we've got Burroughs and Dake and Imar and, I mean, that... I am so disappointed that that the Olympic trials aren't getting ready to happen because man, that was going to be like the best tournament in on American soil ever. <laughs> I mean, holy shit, it was going to be good. It, it really sucks that they've that they've cut it down to six weight classes, and there's so many guys that are tweeners and and will will probably never make a an Olympic team because of of that, you know. Um, but yeah, absolutely. That 163 is is. Uh, always been a great weight class for us, like you just said, so, what? Oh, you know, they should have kept 10 weight classes, period, I just, you know, there's really no, it's, it makes no sense, right? Well, Felix typically seems to think that they have to make some decisions every four years, and that was a bad one, and it's stuck, you know, I mean, it's like, they're getting paid to do something, if they don't do anything, that's, they're considered suspects. I, I don't know. I just, they made some bad goal changes. They, uh, do you think... I I'm, I'm a big fan of Forrest Parcher, mm-hmm. and I think that you should let a guy on top. That's a, a complete another skill that's been taken away. Yeah. I mean, the guys that actually know how to transition into a turn are winning matches. And that's, and that's where that's where Burroughs had the beginning of his career was kind of weak. And at the end of the day, you know, it's clear now, he's gotten way better on top. But I will tell you, in my day, if you weren't good on top, you weren't what it matched. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I kind of personally wish that they would, like, if you take somebody down and, and, and expose them twice, like two gut wrenches, I, I feel like they should stop it and bring them back up because I, I can't stand when somebody gets taken down and laced all the way across the mat and then it's over in 30 seconds. I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> you know, well, it, see, that's, that's what we're always going to differ because that that is a skill set that the people have. So, um, I coached with uh, with Sean Bournemouth at his wrestling school over for years, and we had John Katie and Terry Bowman. So we had we had a coaching staff that was probably good enough to it was probably better than ninety percent of the Division One colleges at that point. Yeah. And one of the things that stress with our guys, because they're looking for us players, we taught them how to transition into that stuff. And, and as a club, our race was as good as anybody in the country. And and I know that, you know, 
hey, if you know that we've got it, you better learn how to defend it. If you can't defend it, that's your problem. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. I, I think that you know, we need to open it up so these kids can have more skills than us. You know? and, and if that's what it is, that is the whole thing. If you keep getting turned, every time you turn, it's just be point. And you know, it used to be that way, like you said. If it was like a couple turns, they brought you up. Yeah. So you you or they they put a constraint on it, like with a go wrench, you could only do two go wrench. Yeah, I don't know. At that point, I hated that those those rules. But they would you could only do two of any particular move. So they didn't want to do what you were talking about. They would love those rules, but for me, because they don't have force parts here. I mean, Kevin Jackson won an Olympic title because he got on top. He had a turn. Yeah. One turn is what won an Olympic title for this man. Yeah. And now that I, you're right, they don't do force parterre at all anymore, huh? No, I haven't been since the 90s. Wow. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of things that, you know, the the new college rules kind of frustrate me with the, the stalling and all that stuff, but um, I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm kind of all over the place, but I have so many questions for you. How the hell do you cut uh, that much weight in a week? Well, I mean, well, first of all, if you're if that fat during the season, you get that heavy, Yeah. most of it's water weight. Yeah. So, it's sort of, and you got to understand that back in the old days, a lot of times we would weigh in on Friday, and that would cover us for the whole weekend. Yeah. Like, if you wrestled an open tournament, so my senior year, I wrestled 59 matches that season. You know, if, if I would have had to make weight every every time, this time, I probably would have died. Yeah. But a lot of times, like, at the beginning of the season, for the first month and a half, we were only wrestling open tournament. Yeah. So we would weigh in at a, on a Friday night and then wrestle on Saturday. Okay. You know, and we'd, and we'd usually weigh in at our place and then drive to the, the venue. You know, we used to wrestle the, our season would start with a tournament up in North Dakota, but at Nebraska home, or Northern Open in Wisconsin, then Nebraska home and you know, it's just it's places that weren't very far. We were waiting at home, and then you're eating the whole weekend, and then you get to Monday at practice, and you're weighing 138, and the first practice has lose. Eight, nine. I mean, I've lost up to nine pounds in the practice. Yeah. You know, that's, a, that's only the first day, well, towards the, the, the last day, I'd have to be within four and a half pounds that I wouldn't make weight. Wow, 59 matches in one season. Actually, it's funny because my college coach, because he was so My 54 wins my senior year, should actually put me number two on the list for the most wins in the season. Uh-huh. But I'm not even on the list. How is that? It was never submitted to the NCAA. Oh. Well, that sucks. <laughs> but what's funny is, you know, you said that I had 114 pins in, in college. Uh, high sc- in high school? Yeah. In college, I'm not even on the list at the University of Minnesota because my college coach never kept pins for some reason. And you probably had a ton of them, well, right? Well, didn't keep mine. I don't. I would think. I mean, I mean, shooting pin 
my senior year, I pinned the guy in the quarterfinals in the NCAA. I could pin a returning All-American. I think I could, I probably, you know, I mean, wrestling in the Big Ten is not easy to pin guys, but I'm, I'm sure I pinned at least 30 guys, you know, 40 guys, and that would put me in a blitz. Well, I watched your match with Zeke Jones at Midlands when you were, what, were you 25 then? That was, no, that was at 118, and I was out of college, and Zeke was still in college. Okay. Yeah, that but was I, not a good match for me. <laughs> I hung on to beat him, but I was all over the place on that. He very well, he, he probably should have won that match. They, they, stopped, they stopped the call that could have very well gotten some points, but. Zeke and I have had a long run, and he got the best week. I can't argue that. I mean, in 91, the only time I I, I really beat him uh, was in 91, the year he won the World Championships. All of our matches were always close. Usually like 5-4 or something like that. And then, uh, I think I was winning at one point. And then he could pick me away. I wasn't very good at stalling. Yeah. And I was really suspect on my feet. And, and again, that comes with never having any real coaching. Because I went from Minnesota, um, and then Jay took the job over. We really didn't have a freestyle coach. And Jay was too busy trying to build a program to actually coach us. But we were kind of coaching ourselves. Yeah. You know, Melvin Douglas was there, Jimmy Velasquez, Johnny Johnson. We, we had a hell of a coaching staff. And we were all good freestylers. But... You know, we really were kind of coaching each other. And, you know, when I moved out to Foster, I found out there was a whole different world of wrestling. Unfortunately, I was 29 years old when I learned it. Yeah. But you beat Zeke Jones the year that he won the world championship? Yeah, the first match, the first match was 5-4, and and there was a little controversy after, you know, Zeke's last score. And I was winning, and we got in a little scramble, and they scored it. Uh, in his his favor, he won the match. The second match, I pinned him. And then the third match, he waxed me pretty good. Everything, I, I kept kind of trying to go for a home run and ended up throwing myself to my back like five times in that match. It was not good. Yeah, but be- and then that year, he won the world championships. Being able to wrestle on that level, in my eyes, is like is, is almost like having a damn superpower when you're that good, you know? I mean, you pin you pin Zeke Jones for God's sake. <laughs> That's freaking awesome, dude. Actually, it's funny because I'm in my office right now, and in my office I have, I have you know some posters and things like that from some stuff that I've coached. You know, I got my got my Midlands plaque and stuff, but I have a wall that has a bunch of pictures on it. Yeah, and, and there's a, there's a picture of me wrestling Zeke, picture of me wrestling Jack Rift, and me wrestling Lou Rosselli. Um, but there's a picture that I'm very fond of, and it's, I'm wrestling this guy, Bobby Udina McConnell, who is actually a world champion, and his little brother is an Olympic champion. And I wrestled both of them, actually. Bobby Udina beat me twice in the same tournament, the last international tournament I wrestled in. But the older brother and I were scrapping, and this guy was good, and he could jump. And, uh, but he got tired. And he was beating me, beating me, and I ended up, putting him on his back and pinning him right at the end of the match. Wow. And, uh, and I get a picture of it because the USA wrestling, occasionally, I'm those Christians send the guy to take pictures. Uh-huh. And it stayed in, you know, because I, you know, there's 
from that aspect. I, I, I look at it every once in a while and then realize that's probably one of my best wins. Yeah. So we scrapped, we were going back and forth, and the guy was super talented. He ended up winning the world, the world title. He, beat, uh, he used to beat Terry Bland all the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, Terry, Terry really had a hard time messing with this guy. Yeah. You he said, gets, he'd get him tired, get him tired, but the guy was so talented, he could, he could suck it up. Yeah. Did did you say that was on the cover of USA Wrestler? No, 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 no. This was, this was just a picture that, that I had on my wall. Okay. Okay. Because that's where your first your name first uh, came to my attention was you know I was a kid and I would get those those uh, USA wrestlers in the mail so that was that was our only information about wrestling back then was getting your USA wrestler once a month I mean the world championships would come and go and you'd have to wait like three weeks to find out who did what you know um, so we've really gotten yeah we've really gotten spoiled when it comes to that stuff. Um, what what's your favorite if if you can pick one Dave Schultz story? Oh man, there's so many of them. Um, I'll tell you one that's that's near and dear to my heart. Okay. Dave Dave didn't necessarily put up a lot. You know when he was you know towards the end of his career. He he would he would if you wrestled it usually wasn't at the same time where you did but he he'd end up coming back and wrestle with someone like Rico Chipperelli or, or Greg Olinsky, guys that would just be coming in for a short period of time he wrestled that night and uh, so most of the time he'd just be kind of sitting around watching us wrestle and he would drink coffee so one day in practice. So for about a week straight, uh, Valo kept doing this move where we get an overhook, collar timing with the other hand, and then come across my chest and lock his own tricep. Okay. And then he'd throw me on my head. You gotta understand that I, I, I literally for three years probably didn't win a practice. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a, basically the smallest guy that lives out there. And, uh, with the exception, actually, Val was probably a little bit lighter than me some of the time, but he was taller than me. And uh, so, anyway, this is, this is going on for like a week or two. And I was thinking about asking Dave how I can, I think I might have asked Dave what he thought I can do to beat this position, because Val is super strong for a skinny little guy. Yeah. And, and he'd step around and just launch me. And I, I was getting really frustrated, and I, I you know, obviously I hate to lose, but I'm doing it on a regular basis, but it was making me a little bit tougher. And I sat at home, I sat at home, I tried a couple things for a couple of days, and then we get towards the end of the week. And I start thinking about something, I'm going to go, I got, I got something I'm going to try. So Val and I are squaring up, and we're wrestling for a while, and then he gets that over up. And he comes across and grabs my tricep, or my bicep. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is I turned my side to him. I, I grabbed underhook on on the on the overhook side. Yeah. I grabbed his forearm. I stepped across. I did a judo throw on him. Okay. So I've had some. I've had, I've had a lot of friends that have played judo, and I, I understand the concepts. I, I I use a lot. I would have been pretty good at judo, I think, because I use a lot of it in my wrestling. Yeah. So I step across and I just launched this guy. 
And I flew in as hard as I've ever seen anybody. But when he landed, my forehead went right into his face. So oh, he's laid out, he's bleeding, and Dave just yells out, Nice monkeys! <laughs> and he basically puts his coffee down and runs out to the middle of the mat. Now, the fellow is laying on his back, bleeding all over the place, and Dave wants me to show him what I did. He wants me to show him the technique. This was Dave's show. He was always learning. He always wanted to learn. He'd see something good. He didn't care who it was. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you another great story that, that you'll appreciate because you know the guy that I'm going to talk about. So Dave, I think he was in college. Or he was still living in Oklahoma. and He, he went to like a kid's tournament or a high school tournament. And he's watching this kid wrestle and this kid does some stuff that he's impressed. So after the match... The Olympic champion, no, well, maybe he wasn't the Olympic champion yet, but anyway, the only Olympic wrestlers in the world, asked his high school kid, he gave him on the mat, and he wants him to show him the technique. Wow. So that kid turns out to be Kendall Cross. Huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a great story. I mean, you know, Kendall and I used to train together all the time, and I, I, I can imagine even if he was a son back then, if he was when he was wrestling, they had one stuff yeah, Kerry Colat tells a similar story about about Dave asking him to show him his front headlock, and uh, and I was a huge I'm a huge Kerry Colat fan. My son's uh, got two middle names, and one of them is uh, is Colat. It's Micah Earl Colat is his name, um, and he told a similar story about about Dave being that way. Um, which kind of goes back to what you're saying about you know he just treated everybody with with respect and all that stuff. Do you do you do you do you speak to uh, Mark Schultz at all? Are you friends with Mark? You know it was weird because I was never really close to Mark. Um, he and I had spent some time here and there. He uh-huh. came out to the farm when I was living out there. Yeah, he never came on the farm. He was staying off the farm and then. Um, Rob Calabrese, who's our 25-pounder, who lived on the farm, and then Rico Ciccarelli, who was NCAA champ for Iowa. He had went in New York City, and he was in town. So we all went out one night and, and moved it up and had a little sushi and ended up wrestling in a bar with some people. We had a tag team match going. Yeah. <laughs> so Mark, Mark was already off the team by the time I... I joined. Okay. So, um, and then, I mean, we, we would see each other at tournaments and stuff like that, but he, you know, he's, he's a little more introverted than, than Dave, and, you know, he's a little more intimidating, too, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. So if, you, if you didn't know, in the, in the, back in those days after that, I think he was probably wrestling for some kids, and I was, you know, I'm wrestling for Fox Catcher at that point, who knows? I wrestled for 10 different clubs, including some kids at one point, before I actually joined Foxcatcher. Yeah, not, not a lot of people realize, I think, that Mark Schultz wrestled for 10 years and won a California state title, three NCAA titles, three world titles, you know, including the Olympics, and in a 10-year career. That has to be the most miraculous 10-year career in the history of wrestling. Very well could be. You know, it really could be. And, and, and I think that he probably doesn't get 
the respect that he probably deserves. I mean, he's, he's obviously a Hall of Famer, and, and, and guys like me that have gone through the sport certainly respect him, especially for, obviously, his, his athletic ability. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, as far as I know, I think he, he actually placed in the gymnastics, as a freshman, I think he placed in gymnastics. He placed in the California State Gymnastics Tournament and then decided for nothing. Yeah, he started as he started as a junior, and then won won California State as a senior, and then wrestled. I can't remember where he wrestled his freshman year, but then he went ended up going to um, wherever it was, Oklahoma, and then three time NCAA champion and made two world two Olympic teams. And I mean, just amazing. So many people have no idea the the level that that you were on. You know what I mean? Um, so it's it's probably why you were so damn good is because you know even without coaching and 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 everything else you still were one of the top U.S. wrestlers that we had and uh, I just think it's cool as shit, man. Well, I, you know I appreciate that. For a long time I was bitter because I, you know I, I never reached my goals ever. I mean from the time once I left high school, I mean I I, I capped off my season. I won a junior national title. So I, you know, I won that national title, which would now be Fargo, and and I thought that I was going to have this great college career, and, and it never panned out the way it should have. Now I, you know, I still won't know matches that anyone ever did at the University of Minnesota, I, and that was basically because of that hurt. But I'm certainly not even in the top ten as far as the best wrestlers that the university's ever had, um, and that's disheartening. Knowing that I could have been one of the greatest. You know, I think I should have been a four-time All-American when you get right down to it if I had, you know, been progressed the way I should have been. But you never know. So I was always bitter. You know, I never made the Olympic team. You know, I, and I beat all these good guys. I mean, when I was a kid, I beat the 1980 Olympia, Olympic champion. He came to the United States and wrestled. No, no and, shit. Uh, I, I beat Shato. And, uh, you know... You look at that kind of stuff, I've lost by a point to two different Olympic champions. I mean, that's that's a great story in itself. I wrestled, uh, the first time I wrestled Gala was the first time I ever wrestled for Foxcat. Okay. And I wasn't on the team after that for about four or five years. So, because Dave and I were friends, we were wrestling, they were going to wrestle dual meet against the Bulgarian national team in Villanova, uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. So they were supposed to, I think Joe Cardinal was supposed to wrestle and he got hurt or something like that. So Dave called me, asked me about who I'd wrestle. I said, sure. So they flew me out there. I get off the plane. There's some guy in a bomber jacket. He takes me out of the side door. We get on the helicopter, fly to the farm. DuPont picks me up with his chauffeur, takes me to my hotel. Actually, I was the only knucklehead that had to cut weight to make weight for this thing. Yeah. So he took me over to the, he took me over to the Villanova's gym uh, to, so I could cut weight. And the gym was actually, the gym at that time was actually named after me, which was kind of freaky. I walked in the front door of the Johnny E. DuPont Pavilion with Johnny DuPont. <laughs> uh, so then the next night, we ended up wrestling. And I asked Dave before the match, I go, is this guy any good? He goes, he's all right. <laughs> well, little did I know, he'd already won world title. 
And uh, so I go out there. I take Vallow down right out of the box. Mm -hmm. I'm winning one nothing. I end up losing sixteen to two. <laughs> so at least he can impact ball game. Give him about two more seconds, and he might have. Yeah. So you know, then fast forward to eventually, I start going out there. They finally, they finally talk Dupont into bringing Vallow onto the farm. That was Dave's. That was Dave's idea. Yeah. And Dave saw how great Vallow was and what technique he could impair, uh, uh, help us with. Yeah. And. You know, so the rest is history. He lived out there and trained, won more world and Olympic title. Yeah. And uh, so I go out there and I start training with him, training with him. Then the next time we wrestled, it's the semifinals of the Sun Kiss tournament. And I don't even know why Valor decided he wanted to wrestle this tournament. But so anyway, I front chest lock and I toss him for three. Mm -hmm. I get on top of him and I gut wrench him for two. Now I'm winning five nothing. Yeah. He proceeds to reverse me and then get on top of me. And in that five minute span then he ended up scoring seven straight points. Oh wow. So now I'm losing seven six and I end up taking him down. And you know, I'm losing seven five and I end up taking him down and losing seven six. Damn. So you know, in my eyes. I had the shot at beating the greatest wrestler in the history of my weight class yeah. and blew it. But then I look at it and I go, I wasn't even in the ballpark six, seven years ago. Now all of a sudden, I, you know, he's helped me make me good enough to actually wrestle with him. Yeah. I mean, Val, the first time Val, I mean, it's miraculous that Zeke beat Val. I know Val was a little messed up with his knee, but, you know, Every time Val would wrestle Zeke, he just pounded. And he was doing that to everybody. Yeah. I mean, everybody in the world. And so, it's... Yeah, I dude. I walking off the... After that match, I come walking off the mat, and I'm, I'm all mad, and I go up in the stands by all the fox catcher guys, and I sit down, and I've got my hands... My head in my hands, and I'm out of the side of my ear, and it was tired with a really... High voice in a Russian accent. Kizzy, I think you're very good in the first minute and last minute. In between, no good. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm furious. I, I turn over. I look up at it's this guy named Stanislav Oganishin. Now, Stanislav didn't come to visit us and came with us to uh, Phoenix. So he, he met us in Phoenix. And this guy was an Olympic champion as a 19 year old. Holy shit. So, I wanted to lay into this guy and I look at him and I go, what am I going to say to this guy? He's a little champion. Can't argue at this point. I did. I broke a five yeah, man. I mean, you know, I, I I know that you look back on it and, you know, somewhat disappointed and all that, but as far as, like, just having a five-point lead and almost beating literally one of the best wrestlers, not just in your weight class, but ever to step on a wrestling mat. I mean, dude, you're 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 one of the you were you were one of the best in the world too. I mean, that's that's so freaking cool to me, you know. I, I was very fortunate, and then I guess I guess the point that I started making before I told the story is that for a long time I felt bitter about my career that I, I was you know kind of a failure that I never lived up to you know the heights. Then I look back and and as I as I'm standing in my office here, I'm looking, 
I'm looking at a poster of uh, the Tactic Cup. So after I was done reffing, I started coaching quite a bit. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many people do you know that have ever wrestled in Iran, or coached in Iran? I've been to Russia probably five times. I've been to Bulgaria at least that many times. I've been to Turkey two or three times. Czechoslovakia, Poland two or three times. Um, you know, uh, Cuba five times. Venezuela, Mexico, then Canada five times. Uh, you know, uh, Panama. I'm looking at this other poster. I wrestled in a tournament in Panama with Kenny Monday, Tom Erickson, Joe McFarlane, um, you named uh, Dan Shane. We had a hell of a team. We ended up winning this tournament. It was a team tournament that was run by Manuel Noriega. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Notorious drug runner who died in our, our prison. Yeah. You know, we wrestled a tournament in his place. Wow. When I was at Foxcatcher, we used to, we were living a, a different lifestyle. Yeah. We were flying uh, a private 14 seat jet called a G2 to most of our competition. Huh. <clears throat> the best ever, <laughs> um, the best ever was, we're, we're supposed to wrestle a tournament in East France. And so we left the farm and when we drive to uh, JFK, so we fly out of New York City and go overseas. So we're pulling into British Airways. And uh, one of the other guys that lived on the farm, John Giro, who's a, a high school friend of mine, he's from Illinois. John says, well, why are we flying British Airways when we should be flying Air France? Yeah. And there's a direct flight from Air France to, to Nice. So we don't know what's going on. John looks down, pulls out his ticket. I think I think Dupont gave him all the tickets. He had the tickets. He opened up the ticket, looked at it. It's a five thousand dollar one way ticket. Holy shit! We realized that at that point we're flying the Concorde to France. Wow! So how many people do you know that have ever flown the Concorde? Yeah. I mean, those. Any time I I start whining about my wrestling career. And the things that you brought up, I, I have to start reminding myself that I mean, these, this is stuff that even these kids, these, these great wrestlers like Schneider and and Dave and these guys will never be able to do. Yeah, it was just this different animal. We, you know, we kind of had the world by its tail. Yeah, and unfortunately, it just was all pulled out from underneath us in a matter of seconds. Yeah. It's it's the equivalent it's the equivalent of someone playing Michael Jordan in basketball and almost beating him. That's what you did. <laughs> yeah. I mean he he had a better career than Michael Jordan. <laughs> you know, as far as world titles. So I think that's freaking awesome. How how accurate was the uh I won't keep you on here all day, but how accurate was the uh, portrayal of uh, of Foxcatcher? Did you? I know it was a hard movie to watch because you uh, you know at the end of it, a good friend of yours passes away. But was it accurate? Well, I'll tell you exactly what I told uh, Bennett Miller, who is the director of the movie. Okay. I I, I thought the movie was done awesome. I thought every guy portrayed his character. Almost to a T. Yeah. 
Actually, at one point, Nancy Schultz is on set, and she she took a picture of Mark Ruffalo and sent it to me. Mm-hmm. And, and Ruffalo was on the phone, on like a regular landline phone. Yeah. And it was, it was insane. I mean, I could not, I would not have been able to tell the difference between him and me. Now, this is just the angle. I mean, this sometimes he does that much like David. Sure. He really did a nice job of portraying David. I thought that uh, Carell did a great job of, of portraying DuPont. Yeah. Uh, those guys were all coached by guys like John Jira, who used to live on the farm. They they showed his mandolin and he, they watched a lot of tapes. So they, they're all good actors and they did a great job. Yeah. The timeline is completely off. Yeah. So they basically have Dave getting killed in 1988 after Mark lost in the World Championships. Yeah. That, or, or, or after the Olympics. That's not the case. Yeah. So obviously Dave didn't die for eight more years. Yeah. Yeah, so, and never did Mark and Dave live on the farm together. Okay. So there's a lot of things that aren't historically accurate. Yeah. But I thought they did a pretty nice job of portraying the situation. Yeah. And because of that, that's why I think Nancy and John Green, well, John Greenhall probably brought it to Nancy and asked, for permission, but that's when they, you know, we did the, the documentary Team Fox sketch. Okay. And and that in itself kind of makes guys like me feel better about the portrayal of, of the movie itself because there is a, a documentary that tells about what it was like to be around Dave. Mm-hmm what it was like yeah. what DuPont was like and what it was like to live that lifestyle yeah so that that in itself I mean that that documentary was uh, it is is amazing I can't I, I don't watch it very often every once in a while when I feel nostalgic I'll, I'll pull it out and and so what is the name of this? it's called Team Fonskets okay all right, oh, cool. You've never watched it. I'm surprised you've never watched it. If you've never watched it, you have, you have to have to watch. And it's a documentary called Team Foxcatcher, and you said it's on Netflix? Yeah, Netflix bought it. Okay. Awesome. Shit. I can't wait to, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, so you'll see interviews by myself and all the other Foxcatcher guys. Um, you know, guys like Colot. Shoot, when, when Colot was in between colleges, when he was in college... I went out there to train and hit shoot. Jerry and I would wrestle together all the time. Mm-hmm. He's so much bigger than me. But he's the only guy that I know that could whip my butt and not use his weight that was that much bigger than me. Really? He's, a, he, he's amazing. We we built a little bond when when we were together. And uh, and I coached him in a bunch of trips. You know, a lot of his overseas trips for probably the better part of two, three years. I coached him on almost every trip. As a matter of fact, yesterday, yesterday, yeah, yesterday, I decided that as long as I was going to be quarantined, I was going to post a picture on Facebook every day that would have some significance to me. And there was a trip that we went to Poland, and what was great about the trip is that USA Wrestling didn't send anybody off. 
so I got to coach all these studs. Yeah. If you see this picture, and Colon's one of them, Sean Bournette, uh, Pat Santoro, Brian Dolph, John Jira, uh, Aaron Richardson, Tom Erickson, all these guys are on this team, and I get to coach them all. Wow. So I, I, post, I posted that, that picture. So Terry was kind of, any trip that I was going on, I was going to coach on, he was kind of going on. Until we went to Cuba, I mean, he was so mad at me because he didn't have any competition. And yeah. he just figured it was a waste of time. <laughs> and, and this is Cole. I, I, I love the kid. He's, he, he, I mean, he's so competitive. And he, he, he was like laser focused. I wish I could have been like that. You're speaking about Kerry Colette? Yeah. 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 I, I've I've uh, I, I've never got to meet him or anything, but yeah, I've always I remember reading that story about him in Sports Illustrated, and and uh, you know when he was still just in high school, and they were calling him the son of Gable and all that stuff, and um, so yeah, he he's always just been one of my favorite guys to watch. He's he's amazing, pretty cool dude. He's a great guy. Yeah. He's, 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 it's funny because when, when when the tournament starts. This guy has a game face on. He rarely ever smiles. Yeah. But afterwards, he's really sneaky funny. Yeah. He, he was, we'd go on these trips and he'd have a, he was, he's one of those guys that like had one of those, you know, none of us could really afford to have like camcorders and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know how he got a hold of one, but he used to bring them on these trips. Uh-huh. And he would be videotaping everything. Huh. If, if you did something stupid, he probably, I guarantee he's got some stuff on me <laughs> that, that would humiliate me today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would love to see those videos. I wonder if he's still, yeah, I wonder no if he's, I bet he still has them somewhere. Well, I guarantee he does. I know he does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God. I'm glad that he got that, that job at Navy, at, uh, at Navy. that's um, he, he, should, he should be a big 10 coach right now. Yeah. And I don't, he just got a late start at it. And, you know, he's unfortunate because he got, he, technically, and again, I don't know how his administrative skills are and how, how good he is at, at training the guys, but obviously, technically, he's, you know, top percentile. Yeah. Yeah, I, he did, he, I went to a, when I was a senior in high school, we got to go to national duels, and he was just like a, I think he was a true sophomore at the time. And he he hit a low level on a guy that, I mean, he he, he was like he levitated. His, his chest and his legs and everything were maybe a quarter of an inch off the mat, and he was wrestling by Bak Mohammedin from uh, Oregon State. And he, oh, yeah. he, he, did this low level and he like hovered and his chest was maybe a quarter of an inch off the mat. Every piece of him was maybe a quarter of an inch off the mat and he snatched his ankle and was back up in in just the blink of an eye. And I remember looking around being like, did anybody fucking see that? Like I was just, I just could not believe that a human being did what he did on a wrestling mat. And I've never seen a, any, a shot like that ever, you know, to this day. I, I don't think I've ever seen... Maybe I just haven't been that close to it, but from that moment, I was like, "That's the most amazing thing I've ever seen anyone do on a wrestling mat." It was it was just a low level, but it, it was the most amazing low level I've ever seen. I mean, it was just it's almost hard to describe, you know. Um, well, some of the some of the guys that that were the most talented that I've ever been around, and, and 
said before you know if he hadn't been screwed literally um I mean, he, he said that he'll take the first loss that you know because of the iranian the tactics and all that in the first world championships he was in when he got silver he said he'll take that loss but the next three in a row where he got screwed like that i i feel like if colat had had done everything if they hadn't screwed him he could have potentially gone on to be the best u.s wrestler ever i mean what happened to him kind of turned him off of the sport from what I understand for a while um but who knows I mean the guy could have won like eight world titles in a row you know I mean that's easy to say but you know what I mean I mean he was that freaking good um well and again that's that's exactly what I'm talking about and those are the those are the matches I'm talking about too that you know after the first one you know they just just he kept getting Bad things thrown at him one after another, and and it starts wearing on you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, you can only be so mentally tough. Yeah. You know, I don't care who you are. If if you're doing all this training and you know how good you are, and everyone's telling you how good you are, but the results aren't coming. Right. That starts to wear on you. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you flat out, my life could change completely if I would have beat Zeke the first time we wrestled. Yeah. Zeke was still in college, and I was deemed to be the next guy at, at 52 kilos. Yeah. So I smashed everybody on my side of the bracket. The problem is that I'm, you know, I'm way too big for 114. I shouldn't have been wrestling 114. I should have built up, but I was short. So I, I had to, it would have been tough to wrestle 25, because I'd have to wrestle guys like, even though I beat Brad Penrith a couple times, Penrith's mid-span was amazing. It was really tough for me to beat him in freestyle at that point. Yeah. He was a big 25-pounder. And, you know, and then, I mean, you may get that the Kendall and those guys coming up, too. But I, 
I sucked a lot of weight. We had to make it three days in a row. And I made the weight, and then I had to wait till 7 o'clock at night to wrestle. And I couldn't stop eating. <laughs> I was so slow on my feet. Yeah. I was, I was beating the pretty good, and then I hit the wall. I completely gasped. Yeah. And had, had I won that match that I should have won to begin with, then the mental game might have turned. Because, you know, when I started losing the Zeke over and over again, I wrestled five times in the national, in the finals of the national open. Was probably in all those matches. Probably had a lead at one point or another. Yeah. And then I'm losing it. it, it it's, there's so much underlying mental game. You know, if if we were Russians, they would have had me working with a nutritionist. They would have had me, you know, training the right way. They would have had you know had me you know working on psychological things. That's that's what they do like being a professional athlete for that for us so I'm, I'm an assistant coach at, at a big 10 school wrestling folk style most of the time yeah and and still be, and, and you still got that freaking good yeah I mean and that's it and that's why I said you know every time I start whining about you know I wish I would have been you know been able to meet my goals so I, I guess you know, I, I kind of ended up where I probably should have been. I probably overachieved when you get like that too. Oh yeah, absolutely, you did. You know, um, I, I've I've enjoyed the hell out of talking to you. I could I could uh, if I didn't have other stuff I have to do today, I would I would bug the shit out of you all day long. Because <laughs> I have. Actually, I got an appointment later on too, so I'd be ready. I, I've got I've got so many so many more questions, but uh, we we can go ahead and and, and wrap it up here. Um, but I've I've enjoyed the heck out of talking to you, and and if you if you'd like, maybe we could do it again sometime because I there, there's so much stuff we didn't even get into, like about wrestling now and today and what's going on and and how these guys got screwed out of their dreams their last season and and all that and you know I'd love to get your opinions on all that stuff, but um, yeah. Well, anytime. I mean, obviously for the next month. <laughs> I mean, yeah. normally I'd be on the road most of the days and then start getting busy here, but, uh, um, you know, any time that, uh, that you want to talk, you call, I'll see if I can make time for you. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate that very much, Ed. It was great talking to you, and uh, I'll, I will let you know when this is up and you can you can tell your buddies on Facebook and everything about it. All right, thank you very much. Cool, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Ed. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was Ed Geesey, um, one of the best U.S. wrestlers we've ever had in uh, freestyle, um, college All-American. Um, it's so funny, guys, that wrestle on that level. Uh, I think it takes them a long time to realize just how fucking good they were. Um, so anyway, that was an absolute pleasure for me. I hope it was for uh, all of you. And uh, yeah, so... As always, go to makingithappen.com, M-A-C-A-N-ithappen.com. Help out little Bo Macon um, and his family, especially during this rough time that we're in. And uh, go to youtube.com slash Tim Gaither, G-A-I-T-H-E-R. Please subscribe to my YouTube. That's going to become uh, one of my biggest ways to make money during this uh, pandemic we're all experiencing. So 
I hope you guys are all doing well and taking care of yourselves, and uh, we will talk soon, and thanks for listening. God bless all of you. Take care. Bye.